Welcome back to Hopeless Romantics, where we analyze, discuss, and generally gush over Regency-era literature. My name is Trisha Lena Gay, and in today's episode, we're going on a quest for knowledge valuable to AP students. We'll hear from the director of a Jane Austen remake, answer some of your burning questions, and really get to the bottom of things. We'll give you the lowdown on some movie interpretations and whether or not you can trust them. So sit tight and enjoy our show. In this segment, I'll be talking to Adrian Shergold, the director of the 2007 film Interpretation of Persuasion. I read the book and watched this movie, and I wanted to get some of his input on a few things. So, Mr. Shergold, I understand that for a lot of people reading Jane Austen, um, it's especially difficult to understand. Was it at all intimidating to take on such a story? You know, Trusha, it, it was a little bit intimidating at first, but... Uh, it took me a little bit to realize that it's okay to take some artistic liberty and change things up in a way that may be better received that uh, from the audience or maybe would be easier for us to portray. Well, Mr. Shergold, that's certainly understandable. Um, you talk about your artistic liberty. What are some parts of the movie that you may have changed that some readers may notice um, and perhaps be crestfallen by well a particularly integral scene to the um story is uh how captain wentworth professes his love to anne once again and in the book he uh he had been writing a letter for captain bennick and at the at the same time he'd been writing to anne as well professing his love for her and he pretends to leave the room and comes back to supposedly get his gloves and he hands Anne a letter. And in doing so, he he kind of gazes into her eyes and it's kind of a, sh- a showing of love in that moment. Um, but we portrayed it differently in the movie. We showed it as um, somebody else gave Anne the letter and she had to go find him. And I think that, in a way, it showed a bit of uh, independence for Anne uh, in that moment. She she knew what she had to do, um, and she felt like she had her own um, own idea of what she, what she needed to do. Um, so I think that, personally, I, I like our interpretation a little better. But of course, all respect to the original. Well, thank you, Mr. Shergold, for giving us some insight into your interpretation of persuasion. Up next, we'll be answering your voicemails and diving into some juicy questions. All right, our first voice message is from an Abby in Washington, D.C. I'll go ahead and play that clip. Hey, everyone. I really hope I get chosen for this episode. I just wanted to ask... What was one of your favorite scenes from one of the movies? Thanks, Abby. One of our Hopeless Romantics team members um, has decided to answer this question, and her name is Fiona. I have Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. I will be using this on the 2005, I believe, mm-hmm. is the year. The 2005 Pride and Prejudice, starring Kira Knightley, and I forget Mr. Darcy's name. That's beside the point. Um, so my favorite scene, Prejudice. 
has to be the one where they meet again for the second time mm-hmm. after Catherine de Bourgh comes back and like, it's like, don't marry my nephew. And Elizabeth is like, I'll do whatever I want to do, thank you very much. And then they meet each other in the morning and like the, the, his like, his, his jacket flowing and like her walking. walking and the dew and the sun. And, and it's slowly rising. And it's slowly rising. <laughs> oh, it's just the most beautiful scene, like visually beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then also so important in the whole thing like right. they realize like oh my god we're in love with each other right it's just oh that's my favorite scene all right we'll be moving on to the next voice message uh the next one comes from abella in boston massachusetts i'll be playing that clip hi everyone i'm so happy to be able to send in this message today my question to you guys is how would you describe the cinematography and the lighting and how it affected the tone of the of the of the plot and how it affected your understanding of the book, not just the movie. Okay, I have I have opinions about yes, this. Yes, I, I, <laughs> I have opinions about this. Okay, so in Pride and Prejudice, the sun plays like a really big factor, and that sounds kind of stupid. No, but like whenever you think about it, they didn't have any like great lighting, and so like the like so. The light kind of because like when at that very end scene whenever they embrace each other and like oh my god like we love each other mm-hmm. the sun is coming up and it's beautiful and it's like yeah. yay and and then but then like the two <clears throat> of the biggest bad moments biggest like dramatic moments. yeah two but like they're in a bad way happen at night right they find out that Lydia has run away with Wickham mm-hmm. and Catherine de Bourgh comes and basically tells Elizabeth don't you can't marry Darcy mm-hmm. those both happen at night and they're bad. And then the good happens during the day, and but the sun, so the, like the sun plays. I guess that's more like setting, right? No, than, but that that's like lighting. Yeah. But I just thought, I just noticed. That. I was like, oh my god. Yeah. Okay, moving on to the next voice message. This one comes from a Claire in Wichita, Kansas. I'll play that clip right now. Hey guys, my question to you guys was: Was the attire something that you felt was important in the book? If so. Was it something that you think was portrayed appropriately in the movie? Thanks. Okay, this question was answered by another one of our Hopeless Romantics team members. Her name is uh, Elizabeth. For Emma, I feel like the costumes were very well done, and I feel like it showed a lot of characterization. They, they might have not been completely accurate to the time frame. They weren't. <laughs> yeah, they, not completely. Not completely accurate, but they like it's like they had the shape of the dress that they kind of wore. Yeah. They had like the hats, yeah. what they would do for hair, but it was a bit more like, like kind of like it was like a hyperbole of what they would wear. Mm-hmm. It was kind of just very. I, I remember Emma wearing these like bright, bright colors. Yeah, she, she wears a lot of bright colors, which I feel like was kind of the director's choice and the direction of how they wanted to go. She's because right. Emma's very, very, like, just kind of flamboyant. She's viewed as, like, perfect in their t- town, and she's just kind of high class. And so it kind of puts a lot of attention on her because she, not that she likes the attention, but she, um, it's just kind of what she's been inherited and the fact that she's just very flamboyant and very, like, freely, like Fiona said. Like, she's kind of that person who, um, is she's very she's 
impressive and liked and you see that comparison to some of the other people in the town like Harriet is more her clothing kind of matches more of what the characters wear in like Pride and Prejudice where it's a bit more simpler mm-hmm. still a little bit more colorful but it just kind of shows that simplicity in the character in their class and then also something I did find very admirable about it is uh, you can kind of tell the state of the situation because there's times where you see Emma in distress and her hair is messed up or she's wearing her nightgown and she's just like upset and is like thinking about something or um, when she messes up a lot in this book and learns from her experiences of messing up and like she goes to apologize to Mr. Martin who was trying to get engaged with Harriet but like she convinced Harriet to decline him thing and she wore simpler clothes to go see him because like she probably didn't want to seem too flamboyant and I, it shows a lot of characterization even though it's not accurate I, characterization I really, I really like what you said about the clothing being a hyperbole of the characters yes that's very accurate so that's how my interpretation of it because when I watched Pride and Prejudice and I watched Emma I was like whoa this is like like it was just like kind of a little too bright yeah like, it, it didn't have that, like, mustiness in it. <laughs> like, I don't know how to describe it. Like, it needs that little, like, kind of, like, mm, all days. <laughs> okay, so the next question comes from an Anastasia in Sacramento, California. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to ask you guys how you thought the music of your movie affected your understanding of the tone in the, of the book and the movie. I think Pride and Prejudice, I, I'm pretty sure, it feels like with the exception of Emma, Pride and Prejudice is one of her more lighthearted works. Mm-hmm. It's definitely less like like heavy mm-hmm. and that's like reflected in the book, but I feel like the movie kind of... Um, I always felt like, like I've never watched the movie, but from the vibe it gives off, it's intense. It's intense, yes. I think that, like, the 1995 BBC TV show has more of that, like, fun, airy feel to it, but the movie still has that, like, it's comical, it's funny, everybody's Mm -hmm. kind of at each other's throats, but in a funny way, but it is more, it definitely leans more into that more, like, romantic feel of the era, and it's just kind of like a, like, I I don't know how to describe it, this is going to sound really abstract, but in music, like, whenever you're, like, writing music, like, there's a a slur that you can use mm-hmm. that like yeah. kind of like m- makes all the notes go together so like in the piano like if mm-hmm. you're playing the piano you hold down the note that's how it feels that sounds so abstract but it just kind of feels more cohesive and romantic and like like less 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 more serious but not still it still has that like comical aspect but it de- the movie definitely feels more grounded I think mm-hmm. is the right word mm-hmm but still, like, romantic, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Think, I'm sorry. I, Go ahead. I think, <clears throat> again, I'm not watched Pride and Prejudice, but from what I've seen of pictures and stuff, I definitely think the lighting plays into that yeah. feeling of seriousness. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Like, like, and it's music. so extreme. Oh, yeah, my God, the music. music. I can I, talk about the music forever. Like, yeah. I feel like Mansfield Park and Pride and, not Pride and Prejudice, Persuasion, because I'm 
I'm really into music, so if there's a good soundtrack on the movie, oh my god! Even if like the acting's not the greatest, or it doesn't have actors that I really care for, I could love the movie. The Pride and Prejudice soundtrack is so, phenomenal. It's phenomenal. So yeah, so for me, like if the music's good, for me the movie will be good. And I think that portrays a lot of like what the characters are feeling and the yeah, like yeah, definitely yeah. the tone mm-hmm. especially because, because it matches Jane Austen's subtlety. Yeah, yeah, and then the music during that time like that like romantic, it's mm-hmm. kind of a transition from classical to romantic mm-hmm. and that romantic feel it had that like inquisition is a stupid word to put to music, but it was inquisitive music mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. playful yeah, and yeah, it's like like you think of like show like I played this one piece uh, a prelude in C major by Chopin and he was a I composed it at the time and I started playing it I was like oh my god I because I thought at first it was from Pride and Prejudice it wasn't it just sounded like it but like that kind of like yeah airy playful feel but it still it still had that tinges of classical it was very mm-hmm. like grounded and very much like a pattern and that's like the great thing about music is like you can literally go from your song and start out your music could start out with you being like this is so much fun we're so happy and then all of a sudden someone's dead and we are filled with like sadness and guilt and then it can go back to being happy yeah yeah and And i think that's something that you get from the movie and you just don't you just don't experience from the book book. Mm -hmm. yeah again with jane austen being so hard to understand sometimes (laughs) like you, you can't get the feel of the scene sometimes so like when you're watching the movie you're like oh that makes so much more sense because I can feel, I can feel yeah. what they're feeling. Sometimes. And then also, Jane Austen, Austen never really uses like similes. She, yeah, she doesn't. It's like, very under literary yeah. devices. Almost everything is revealed through like the right. setting and the dialogue and the actions. Right. Nothing else. And so it's really hard to kind of grasp that. Like it's like a di- like almost like a na- not a well obviously it's a narration, but it's more like. An observer yeah. has gone in and is writing down everything yeah. everyone and, and does. And even like the like imagery filled passages, it's more of like a there's an a functional to right. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're an outsider. You're describing it yeah. so that way you can understand right. the setting, but not necessarily. It's not for the benefit of the reader. It's for the benefit of the characters. This right. is yes. a question I'm posing, and I don't expect anyone to have an answer. Mm-hmm. But was her writing style common for this? Like, was this yes. style of, style of writing like? pretty well seen like throughout yes other books. so her like style of writing it was more extreme in that it, she didn't really use those literary devices but the way that she wrote um it was it was pretty common like again she like i was talking about in a previous episode she was like one of the first novelists like true mm-hmm. novelists and so but of the time like she used a lot of the same phrases and a lot of the same opinions mm-hmm. like in her writing that Okay, so we'll be moving on to the next message. This one is from a Jennifer in Salt Lake City, Utah. Hey all, uh, my question to you guys is, were there any historical inaccuracies or any discrepancies between the book and the movie? This question was answered by another one of our Hopeless Romantics team members. Her name is Katie, and she read Mansfield Park. The cousins get married! That's the not movie! That, but wouldn't it? That's not a historical discrepancy. Cousins did get married. Well, no, but I'm saying that like they scrapped that out in the movie. Oh, oh yeah. because they didn't want to get bad because opinions. Because they didn't want to get bad opinions. Oh. So they couldn't be accurate to history. Oh! Like, it, like it's 
not blatantly stated that they're cousins. That makes oh, sense. they try to like beat around but the it, bush. But it is yeah. in the book. But it's in the book. Oh shoot! Interesting. Because I mean, it makes. When, when was your movie made? Two thousand. It's past. It's before two thousand and ten. Okay. Before nineteen ninety. Oh. Before, oh, like like wow. not this well, century. Well, after no after it's oh, like, so it's like between two thousand. Yeah. That would make sense. So people are like aware of like incest and the problems of incest. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah, but it was like, no, it was actually 1999. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's basically but, too So people were still kind of prudish about that. Okay, so we'll move on to the next voice message. This one's from a tailor from Miami Beach, Florida. Hey guys, my question to you guys is what was a scene that was a part of the book that was omitted from the movie? that you really wish was actually a part of the movie. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, I'll be answering this question. Okay, so in Persuasion, there's a scene towards the end um, in the book where Captain Wentworth w had been in the same room with, um, with Anne and they'd been kind of just avoiding each other because there was a lot, there was a lot, a lot of tension going on. And I believe Anne was talking to Captain Benick, um, and Captain Wentworth left the room and came back saying that he forgot his, or sorry, I kind of skipped over a part, but Captain Wentworth had been writing something in that room. He left the room and then came back saying that he forgot his gloves, and then he passed this letter to Anne, and there's a moment where like Jane Austen slows it down and they're just staring at each other in their eyes, and it's like a very... It's basically like the end moment where they both realize like we love each other. Yeah. And it's finally said in that in that letter basically that that he's like confessing his feelings for her again. And um and it was kind of different it was different in the movie to where someone else gave her that letter. Oh and she so had to go that. run and find him. Which it was, was my favorite scene, scene yeah. of the movie because it's like they have this big percussion like Lots of piano yeah. rising and falling <laughs> as she's, she's running, running back and forth. And people are like tell like asking her why she's running or stop her. And she's like she's like finally standing up for herself and she's like, I have to go and she just keeps running and you're just Aww. like But and that was a great scene, but it was just like my that was my favorite part in the book where they had that moment that they were like staring at each other and they it was like a very like it was like a culmination of everything yeah. that was supposed to happen yeah. in that book. So I just really wish that I got to see that like in mm -hmm. film form. And that ends our second segment. Now we'll move on to how an AP student can utilize a movie to increase their understanding of the book and what to avoid when doing so. Recently, the Hopeless Romantics team had a discussion on whether or not it would be beneficial for an AP student to watch a movie for their Jane Austen novel, and so here are some of the highlights. Jane, she just, she puts so much characterization and so much detail into all of the characters that it's hard to like separate them and like remember them distinctly, mm -hmm. if that yeah, makes I any agree. sense, because mm -hmm. there's so many flaws and so many like connections with each character that you're like, you can't remember all of them kind of lean towards what Teresha said, like, it wouldn't be like, oh, like, watch it, and, like, it's completely, like, you're A-okay, like, you're good, like, it, 
it, it, it survives, like Fiona said. It's, it does what it's supposed to do. It does the plot. It does it justice. But I feel like with Jane Austen, kind of like what Katie was talking about, was like there's just so much detail behind it that I feel like because the AP test is so much about like just like the details and like the inner works of it, watching the movie wouldn't justify the book for Emma because in so much of Emma it's so much like small little things in Emma it's like all these little tiny things that like get super hyped up in Emma's brain she's like oh yeah you like he loves you he loves you so much he wants to marry you and it's just like you don't see that in the novel you don't see the like characterization and you don't see the perception that um, Emma has and it's just difficult because it doesn't do it complete justice, but it does do its job as a movie. And uh, I will say, I will give complete props to um, Anna Taylor because oh, her emotion in it incredible. completely, like, as because I read the book, I was able to be like, I it made it helped me. Un no, here's it. it. Watching the movie after reading the book mm -hmm. helped me further understand. Uh, yeah, I would agree. Like, it doesn't, like, if you watch the book, if you watch the movie alone, it's not going to, like, you'll get the plot. Yeah, yeah. durr. But if you watch, if you read the book and watch the movie, it further, like, you're like, oh, that's how it's supposed to look like in your brain. It seems that we all came to the conclusion that watching a Jane Austen movie should not be a replacement for actually reading the novel. However, it would be beneficial to supplement your reading with the movie in order to better understand interpersonal and intrapersonal conflict. Again, my name is Trusha Lanigay, and this has been another episode of Hopeless Romantics. We hope to see you in the next one.